Gospel of Matthew. Let's turn to Matthew. And uh, if you hadn't been here for a while or, uh, you know, you've had back surgery or something and you're like, what's going on here? Uh, We're in a study on the book of Hebrews, but we've taken a break from it for the last three weeks. We've been in the Gospel of Matthew. This is our last week in it. And uh, we start in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. Matthew 2, verse 1. And this is God's word. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he? who has been born king of the Jews. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you, Shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people from my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, "Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him." After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know how it is. Uh, You drive around and uh, you get some gas and every once in a while you pay the five bucks for the economy wash and you run your car through the wash. uh, But every once in a while, you know, like every five or six months or so, you got to do the inside of the windows because they start to get that weird filmy stuff on there, right? And that's not because you're smoking Newports in the car. It just kind of happens. It just kind of gets this, this film on there. And uh, you particularly see it, you know, when if you're driving toward the, the sunset, you know, it's just blinding and it's swishy and bad and you can see enough to drive. But, you know, it's just kind of goopy with film. And uh, I start that way because of all the elements uh, given to us in the Gospels about the entrance of Christ into the world, perhaps this account it has the greatest buildup of film on it. Um, we have all these kind of perceptions of this scene uh, from manger scenes that you see, nativity scenes all around the city with uh, camels and wise men and all that kind of stuff, uh, to we three kings of Orient are. And listen, I've used the chorus of that, and I've used some things, and Christmas is tricky for a worship leader who's reformed and likes the Bible. Um, but... Um, so, you know, you've got uh, manger scenes, you've got We Three Kings, you've got sentimentalities, and I don't mean sentimentalities in a sweet way. By the way, if you look up the word sentimental, sentimentality, um, there aren't good definitions in the thesaurus. It's like mawkish, it's like cloying, it's, um, you know, f- fake, uh, gaudy, those kinds of things. When I say sentimental, I don't mean sweetie pie sentimental. I mean like, like precious moments looking, blech, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then you've got just general misperception. 
about this scene. Um, there's a lot of goop on top of the truth, uh, uh, all the available facts. Of course, you know, what's been told us here, there's goop on that. But there's also a film, I think, on top of what the scripture writer really wants us to see in this passage. It's not just this lovely thing that I grew up with in 19, the 1960s in Chicago, and I've got this picture of this scene, and uh, so that's what it is. What's great about this is that we can go to God's word and say, what, Lord, do you want us to see from here? What does the scripture writer want to communicate to the souls of the saints, okay? So what's the gospel writer's plan? And by the way, when you come to God's word that way, ladies and gentlemen, this is just a little bonus for you. Um, When you say, okay, forget all the trappings of what I think I know or what I think the Bible teaches or what I think Jesus is like, what is is he really like? What is God really like? You know where you meet God? You meet him in his word. This is where you meet him. I think Christians like to go, okay, uh, let me put this on the shelf and go try to meet God somewhere with some activity. This is where you meet God. You meet him in his word. In his word, he has revealed to us everything he wants to say to us. And now, when you're apart from God's word, I'm not saying that you're only meeting God when you're reading from the Bible specifically, but even when the Bible's in your car. Can you meet with God? Of course. But what is the communion? It is God applying the truth of his word by the power of his spirit to your soul personally. There is no other thing apart from this that God applies to you. This is what he wants us to know. In God's word, you meet God. And so I think that's what this, the, the gospel writer wants to do. He wants us to strip away our presuppositions, our little American Christmas traditions, and meet God. So what is the big idea today? I always like to have one big idea. What's the big idea? I think there could be a number of big ideas. In fact, I could probably preach this passage three or four times and have different big ideas and not quite exhaust it. Um, but so here's what I've landed on today. I've landed on this. Jesus demands a response. Seriously, he does. And uh, I add that last part, seriously, he does, because um, I think, I think that, that whole Jesus demands a response thing has been handled fairly poorly uh, by the church and by pastors and preachers over the years. You know, it, it, it plays real well to the Christian crowd. You know, you have a room full of Christians, you're, it's very safe. Um, Jesus demands a response. Let me hear you say it. You know, all the preacher tricks and everything. And uh, the Christians nod their heads. Oh, he doesn't demand a response. But when the world hears that, Jesus demands a response. Can't people see that? The world's looking at the church going, you know, Stupid, leave us alone. Demands a response. What are you talking about? But ladies and gentlemen, um, think about this, uh, sensible people, sensible listener. Um, the, the gospel. We, we who have embraced this uh, Lord of glory, Jesus as our savior, we hear the gospel. We hear of um, uh, a God who is perfect, a God who is holy, a God who can't compromise on judging sin. And then we hear of uh, our own selves and we realize uh, by observing our lives uh, in the last 10 minutes or 10 days or 10 years and uh, we go, wow, we don't match up to God's standard. That's a, big, that's a big cosmic problem if this God really is who he says he is. And uh, if you embrace what Jesus did on the cross, that he died for you, that he paid the sin debt, that he paid the penalty that you deserved, you know, 
Um, I was at Madonna Learning Center last week watching their, it's a special needs school, if you don't know that. I was watching their, uh, their Christmas program that they put on, and I mean, it's just precious. It's so sweet. It's just so sweet. Every kid is different, and it's just, the crowd, is, the crowd laughs, but they're laughing with, they're laughing with love. They're, it's, 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 it's a wonderful scene. But anyway, I've, I've taught a number of chapels there over the years, not recently, but I've taught quite a few chapels in years past. And one of the things I would say to this room full of kids who are challenged, I would say, have you ever been in trouble at home with your parents? Have you ever had, you know, back in the day, I would say, have you ever had a spanking? You know, back then, you know, yeah, everybody. But now it's like, have you ever had to go to your room? Uh, Have you ever had a timeout? Has your mother ever counted a three? You know, everything's so... um, but, but they go, yeah, I have. And, and, and my message is, uh, Jesus had to go to time out. Jesus took the spanking. Jesus was sent to his room. That's what Jesus did. He took the punishment that the sinner deserved. They can understand the gospel with that simple thing. All to say, if that's you, if you have understood the gospel and you've embraced it in your heart, yay, that's one thing. But let me tell you, um, all one, all person needs to do to, when, when we say Jesus demands a response, we don't mean walk the aisle, the buses will wait, all that kind of stuff. All, you either respond by falling on your face and worshiping, or you respond by going, that's stupid, they're all a bunch of idiots, I don't believe it. It doesn't have to be a grand production. That's stupid, bunch of idiots, I don't believe it. But whatever the case, Jesus demands a response. Hey, a savior came into this world, he died to save you. That's stupid. I don't believe it. Okay, well, that was a response. All right, let's go to the first, uh, let's go to the first point. Um, this all will all kind of tie together. To come to Christ is to come to worship. Now, when we try to divide this passage up, and when, when I say divide the passage up, I mean package it in a way where we can discuss it uh, intelligently, okay? When we try to take it in, in hunks that we can kind of grip onto, um, one big thing leaps off the page, okay? If you're, if you're a Bible teacher guy and you're studying this, you go, where do I begin? How do I start? How do I divide this passage rightly? One big thing jumps off the page, and I'll show it to you. Um, it starts at verse two. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to, here it is, worship him. Look at verse 11. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Now that is a theological, that's a, that's a theological thing that shows up, and it's called an inclusio. All right, and so you may have heard me say this before, but inclusio, uh, some people describe it as an envelope in which you put things, an inclusio. Other people will say it's like a set of parentheses, you know, in an inclusio, it's this idea. And other people, and this is my favorite one, is it's like bookends, all right? You got a bookend, you got another bookend, and in the middle is stuff that's organized. I mean, when you organize a bookshelf, you put things in a certain logical order, right? So there's a bookend, a bookend, and the stuff that kind of belongs together in the middle, and that's what an inclusio is. And so when you see those pop up, when you personally read the scriptures, uh, it's a very helpful thing to see. You'll see them all over the Bible, inclusios. So when you see one, you go, okay, that might be really important for our understanding of the passage. The Bible invites us to think of it in those terms, right? Uh, that, that things are included. Included. And uh, so what you have here is you've got these people who have come searching for this Christ child. They come to worship him. That's their aim. And when they find him, they do indeed fall down and worship him. 
And that has very much to do with our main idea here today, that Jesus demands a response. Seriously, he does. You either worship him or you throw him out. You either fall down and worship him or you try to snuff him out like Herod uh, certainly did, as, as, and, and the religious leaders too, as we shall see in just a minute. And so um, um, to, to look at this in a fresh and clear way, let's also see how it fits into the story of Matthew itself. Now, I'm doing this message at Christmas time, right? So we started a couple weeks ago, and we're talking about the birth of Je- the genealogy of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, and uh, here we are today. It's the Sunday before Christmas. Christmas is on our mind. Jesus being born is on our mind, and so on. True, but it's interesting. Um, some very excellent theologians, if you study this, and I got a bunch of commentary, lots and lots of commentaries, um, but when they switch to chapter two, here are just a couple of commentators, how they, how they title their chapter. Um, Jesus' childhood. So new page, chapter two, flip it over, Jesus' childhood. Here's another one. Uh, William Hendrickson uh, said this. Um, he titles this chapter, The Work Which Thou Gavest Him to Do. All right, so you can tell that, that, that theologians have already made kind of a left turn away from the birth of Jesus, particularly, into Jesus' childhood, earthly life, earthly ministry. Uh, John the Baptist is going to show up in chapter 3. Um, so the, the idea here is then, I think, the commencement and thrust of his early ministry. That's what we move into. And yet, the word born shows up and shows up uh, in this passage. Now, ladies and gentlemen, why do these, um, these uh, theologians make such a left turn here? I mean, why are they party poopers at the Christmas party? Um, it's the birth of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, and now they're thinking about childhood. They're, they're beyond the birth of Jesus. The answer is a season of time has passed since the manger. All right? And so... Um, the family is now home, it says, that they, they went, the, the, the wise men went into the house. The family is home. Uh, exactly how long, I'm unsure. But um, in verse 16, it says this, if you look at it, one verse beyond our passage here. Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, they didn't come back to report him to him, but rather they went home a different way to avoid Herod. He realizes that he's been tricked by him. He became furious. He sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were under two years old, uh, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. All right? So he's like, hey, okay, so when did you see this sign? Oh, and you followed the sign, and this is how long it took you to get here. And okay, so the baby was born about this time. So I'll tell you what, to be safe, um, I feel threatened by this so-called king of the Jews because I'm the ruler. So let's just kill all the Hebrew boys who are two years old and under. Horrific, horrific, horrific. But at least that gives us an idea that a season of time has passed. It might not have been two years. There might have been some padding in Herod's plans. But a season of time has passed, and they're not at the manger anymore. They're, they're settled. They're in a, home, a house somewhere, all right? So, and by the way, of the 20-plus translations I checked, when it says uh, in verse, um, uh, yeah, in verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, fell down and worshiped him. Going into the house, okay, not the, not the manger scene anymore. They're in a house. All, it's unanimous. Everybody translates as house. I only read of one funky weirdo dude who recently uh, uh, tried to say village, but that doesn't make any, that doesn't make any sense. So they're, they're in a house. Now, and by, and the, by the way, too, in verse, um, in verse 12, uh, 11, they open their treasures and so on. Um, 
that, that seems to imply a very uh, intimate setting. You know, you just don't whip out your gold in the, uh, on, the, on the racetrack, you know, uh, in front of everybody. So to the text, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, we've come to worship him. So sometime after Jesus was born, some men uh, sent, set out to look for him. Now look up if you would, look up. Don't look at your Bibles, look up. How many dudes were there? What land did they come from? Um, who were they? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Uh, so look at your passage. It says, behold, wise men, it does not say kings. Nowhere will you ever see anybody translated kings. Nowhere. It says wise men from the east, wherever that is, came to Jerusalem uh, saying, where is he? Now, where do we get the number three from? People go, well, they're we three kings of Orient are kings. That's fanciful. They were not kings. Uh, they were servants to kings. Um, I'll show you some stuff in a second here. But, um, uh, you know, you look, there's, there's um, in verse 11, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so people will go, doink, three of them. We don't know. We don't know how many there were. Um, um, it's inconclusive. And by the way, and, and, and forgive my next five minutes, there's just no logical way to tie all this together. Like, all these details need each other, and so it's kind of in a little bit of a herky-jerky order. But um, in regard to where they're from, some people say, well, they were the Medes and the Persians. They studied stars, and so it was, might have been the Medes and the Persians. Um, and uh, plus, that makes for some groovy ethnicity in the, in the, the illegitimate manger scenes. You know, it looks it's very cool, very politically cool. Um, uh, but though they studied stars, it's much more likely that these wise men came from Babylon. You know why? Because uh, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, um, were into astrology and astronomy. And guess what? That's where the Hebrews were captive. And so they had exposure to the Hebrew Bible. They had exposure to Israelites. It's very likely that these wise men had an interest in uh, Israel's God because they had been exposed to Israel's God through the Israelites. Okay? Now, um, who are they? Well, it says wise men. And I would say about half the Bible translations say wise men and half the Bible translations say magi. And magi is a Latin word. And uh, it's not hard to see that that's the word from which we get the word magician. All right, so it's, it was a very kind of strange advisor to the king kind of position where there was the study of the sky. It got kind of mixed up in Babylon. You know, you had, astrology, you had astronomy, and that, but you also had astrology kind of mixed into it and Hebrew theology. It was this kind of swirling, um, weird mess. And they would advise the kings, and um, I'll give you a famous one. I'll give you a famous wise man, uh, a, a magi type. Daniel, he's a famous one. Um, in fact, this is in Daniel 2, don't turn, but it says the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. 
um, and so on. Well, that, that's, what, that's what Daniel was. He was an advisor to the king, and he interpreted dreams and all that kind of stuff. And so it was kind of this, this murky, unusual kind of character, these wise men. They weren't kings. They were advisors to kings, advisors to, to leadership, all right? So um, it, it's likely that they had their stars and their Hebrew theology uh, all kind of all packaged up. One more interesting thing that kind of ties into all this. Um, Babylon to Jerusalem, all right? So if they did come from Babylon, which I think they did, if they did come from Babylon, um, it's a 500-mile journey. But it's circuitous, so it's really a 900-mile journey, all right? So it's not just GPS, you know, uh, it's up the mountain, 900-mile journey, long journey. And then uh, Jerusalem to Bethlehem um, is supposed to be five and a half miles, but it's like a six, and a, a six to seven hour walk because of the same thing. You've got to up and down. You're going to walk it. It takes a long time. All right, so my, ask, my, I, my question is this, if you're just going to logically think it out. Do you think that three wise guys are going to travel all that way with gold, and frankincense, which is a sap that comes out of this tree. It turns, frankincense, it means white. It's the sap that comes out of a tree, and you burn it. It's incense. It smells real good. Um, and myrrh. Do you think they're going to take, and by the way, a, a bottle of myrrh in today's, uh, in today's economy would be about $10,000 for a little bottle of perfume, okay? Real expensive gift. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. You think three guys travel all that way without an entourage, without some beasts, without uh, caretakers, without uh, supplies. I mean, it had to have been a blob of people, not just three guys clippity-clopping on a camel. Ooh, isn't this peaceful? I mean, they, they probably moved. And by the way, it says that Herod the king heard this in verse 3. He was troubled. Now, how did he hear it if three guys came in on a camel? But now if three guys came in with an entourage and they needed supplies and a place that they needed lodging, they're asking about this baby and they're, they're searching around, that, that you know, a, a commotion can kind of get to Herod. I think that's more likely. But again, the passage is inconclusive. We don't know. But all I'm saying to you is don't limit it to three guys because you saw it plastic figures out in the lawn somewhere. Now, application for your life. We don't know who these guys were exactly because the Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know how many there were, because the Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know um, where they came from, because the Bible doesn't tell us. But you know what it tells us? It tells us that their goal was to worship him. And they were driven over many, many miles and many, many months to find this, this person and worship him. And when they did, they fell down and worshiped him, says the scriptures. Now, that's the takeaway, ladies and gentlemen. We're supposed to see a response in this passage to the summons to the Savior. They were summoned to the Savior. They were exposed to the Savior. They were exposed somehow to Hebrew theology or they were somehow interested by by the the, the luring of the Holy Spirit, the enabling of the Holy Spirit to seek this child and uh, they have come and they've fallen down. And it's a very simple gospel question. Is that you? Is that you? Will you bow down fall down and worship the Christ. Um, you know, if somebody said, um, hey, Jim, will you fall down and worship Allah? Heck no. I ain't gonna do that. You could kill me. I'm not doing it. You can kill me. Oh, wait a minute. I'm Hindu. I'm Hindu. Uh, my dog just made a turd over here. Um, 
and I think it's pretty special. So I'm going to build a shrine around it, and now it's protected by law, and it's a god. I've declared that a god. Bow down and worship my dog's turd. And you go, I'm not going to worship a turd. Well, Christian, there are quite a few people uh, who have lived on this earth who would not ever bow down to the Lord Jesus. To, to, to them, he's the same thing as a turd. That's a response. Will you bow down and worship the king? If you'll bow down and worship the king, I say to you, um, welcome, brother and sister. Uh, that, that's a huge litmus test for the reality of the gospel, and we see it fleshed out in these um, committed travelers. All right, next point. God summons the unlikely. Now, look at that point. God summons the unlikely. Hmm, unlikely. Hmm. Who's Jim talking about now? You know what I'm talking about? The wise men. I'm still on the wise men. They're unlikely. I mean, they're, they're from a pagan land. By the way, if they are from Babylon, that's Ur of the Chaldees. That's where Abram, Abraham was from. Pagan land. Um, capturers, conquerors of the Israelite people. Um, and it, that they've been mysteriously led to this place, to this small, unlikely spot. It's just so unlikely. Ladies and gentlemen, um, God's word tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Where do you get the fear of the Lord? You? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I fear the Lord. Well, why? Because you're smart? Why? These guys are unlikely. They didn't come because they were wise men. They, became, they came because God summoned them. It's not that the, the wise, you know, if only the smarties could find Jesus. What does that say about God's grace? I mean, it's assault on God's grace. Oh, I was smart enough to give myself to Christ. Oh, I had enough faith to turn myself over. Oh, I was sincere enough to give my life over. That's not grace. Grace is God summons you and you're pulled toward the cross and you don't know why. You yield to it and then afterward you go, God sought me with an everlasting love. What a thing, this this grace. Well, that's why the king, excuse me, the wise men, look at me, the wise men, not kings, the wise men, we're unlikely, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the beginning of spiritual wisdom is a gift, not an acquisition. Look at verse two. Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And so um, they have an, an illuminated understanding and uh, a summons to follow. And uh, there's this star. Now, friends, uh, to apply this to your life, um, I love driving down Poplar every year and seeing that eye doctor place, right? That's it. And they hang, now it's like a faded, now the sign's getting kind of beat up. They need to replace it. But it says, wise men still seek him. You know what I'm talking about on Poplar? You know, I drive by there every year and I, I'm like, praise God, yay. Um, I love seeing that. I think it's great. However, boy, you just have to interpret it right. <laughs> Uh, because we can go, wise men still seek him, and easily go, well, I was wise, and I sought him. Oh, you got to be smart enough to go seek him. Um, but friends, you know, wise men is not a commendation on their righteousness. It's, it was their occupation. They didn't come because they were wise. They were wise men who came. And, uh, 
you know, and by the way, there's this star, this mysterious star. We saw his star when it rose. And by the way, they see it again after Herod. And by the way, they see it again over the place where the Christ child is. That's pretty amazing. And listen, you can just get on the Google machine all day long and get spooky and read about, well, uh, it might have been a supernova uh, or it might have been a comet. In fact, Halley's Comet uh, came swinging by there, but like 20 years earlier. And some people are like, well, maybe the calendar's wrong. Maybe it's Halley's Comet. Maybe it was a supernova. Maybe it was a falling star, um, a burning star-like thing. W- whatever the case, we don't know. The scriptures don't tell us. But what we do know is the God who made all the stars and hung the stars made something that was actually visible, something that they actually followed even to being over the place where the child was. Now, the point is, ladies and gentlemen, um, they saw something real, not some ethereal you know, pudding, but they saw something real that led them. Who led them? God led them. God led them. They were unlikely, and God summons the unlikely. And ladies and gentlemen, isn't that you? All right, last point, since the clock is ticking. It's veneration or detestation. Veneration means worship, um, revering, highly regarding. Detestation is to detest, to spit upon, uh, to think little of. Um, it's one of those two things. And you look at verse four, it says, assembling all the chief priests and scribes, Herod, he gets them all in. And it's interesting, ladies and gentlemen, he gets the chief priests, not the regular priests, the chief priests who were part of the Sadducees, who were part of the religious establishment, who kind of sold out to Rome. They had power. They were, they were kind of cooperating with Roman occupation. And then you had the other guys, the scribes, who were the conservatives, um, who uh, clung to uh, Israelite uh, theology and so on. You've got these two opposites. Herod brings these, this leadership together. And guess what? They get the question right on Bible knowledge pretty cool. He brings them all together and he says, hey, um, theological opposites, um, uh, what's going on here? Uh, what do you think is happening? And they say, well, uh, where do you think the kid is? And they, they tell him, well, in Bethlehem of Judea. That's verse five. They say in Bethlehem of Judea. As they're quoting uh, Micah the prophet who says, and you, Bethlehem uh, in the land of Judah, uh, you are by no means least, Ron, uh, Ron Goss, you may have, you are too little or you are too small or something like that. It doesn't mean you are too small. It means from this dinky little rinky-dink unlikely place, I'm gonna bring about the Savior. Um, from, from you, Jude, uh, uh, Bethlehem, shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so they get the answer right. Where is this child? They go, you know what? We know our Bible because uh, of Micah and... Um, uh, it's Bethlehem in Judah. But where do they stop? That's their answer. They say, in Bethlehem of Judah. And then you got the, the, the Micah the prophet. But ladies and gentlemen, um, do they try to seek this child? No. Do they fall down and worship? Seems like Matthew would put that in there. No. They turn, they, they turn, they spurn him also. And Herod does too. He spurns him too. Uh, Herod, verse 16, he sees that he's been tricked. He wants to kill Christ. And by the way, in verse 12, it says that that, that, uh, Joseph and Mary were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. They departed uh, and so on. But look at verse three. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. All Jerusalem with him. Why was Herod troubled? 
Well, because he felt like there was some kind of assault on his leadership, and if this became some kind of <coughs> excuse me, uprising, it could be a challenge to his rulership. And Jerus- all, of, all of Jerusalem is freaked out because they know of the wrath of Herod and how bad it could all be. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus demands a response. Seriously, he does. You either fall down and worship him or you detest him. And it doesn't have to be uh, you burn crosses in your yard and make fun of Christians every opportunity you get. All you have to do is go, that whole Jesus thing, that whole Savior sent for me thing, stupid. I don't believe it. Last thing, I'll close with this. Anybody go to Tony Bennett uh, Friday night beside the looms and the umlofts in this room? Oh, you went to, oh, isn't that cool? What about it? Oh, Pat, of course you were. Hey, Patty, what's up? We saw you. It was swinging time. But you know, Tony Bennett, 89 years old. It's the only tickets I bought uh, uh, insurance for in my life. Um, <laughs> the only time. But, but it was like three months ago. But let me tell you, Tony Bennett, when, when it's time for him to come out, he walks out like this. And uh, he's got one dance move. It's the, he, used, he used to be able to spin all the way around. He's got one dance move. It, it goes to about here, and then he does this. But let me tell you, he was awesome and sturdy and in command of the show. And just, I mean, wasn't he easy to respect? You just go, golly, this guy. And we were, Tammy and I were talking about it going, he's 89. He's independently wealthy. He's got his health. He's had like 87 wives, uh, probably some concubines too. And, uh, you know, he's had this rich life and he's 89 and he's doing what he loves. But he sang a song and we all had to clap to it. And I was like, I think this might be blasphemy. (laughs) Uh, But he's going, sing, sinners, sing. If you want salvation and sing, I sing a song cause singing is joyful and I think that's the tops, you know. And, uh, and I'm like, that's your gospel? Singing is joyful and it elevates humanity and that's your gift to everybody as you've given the gift of music and all that stuff. But, you know, I told Tammy, I said, he's got everything he wants. He's got everything. He's got a great life. He's got the family and the kids and the independent wealth. He's staying at the Peabody. Probably had a nice prime rib right before the show. I mean, he's doing great. He's got his health and all that stuff. But, and there will be no eternal bliss. I'm telling you, it, it, Jesus demands a response. The response is you either fall down and worship or you dismiss him entirely, and the whole eternity, your eternity, hangs on it. Merry Christmas. Receive the Lord of glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we are unlikely, and I can't think of anybody in this room more unlikely than me to receive kindness and patience and faithfulness and mercy and tenderness and love and grace from you. Thank you for saving sinners. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving my wife. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that you've opened our eyes to your word. And we pray that we would find ourselves drawn to the Savior and find ourselves a people who are eager to fall down, bow before the King. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.